Okay, welcome to the show, Janelle. Janelle Larravi with Chaka Marketing. Welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here, Alan. Right. I feel like we're mutual. We're in the mutual admiration club, right? Because I uh, first started like admiring you from a distance and then I found you and we talked and the next thing you know, like you said yes to my podcast. And so it's like, all right, cool. We're in the same city and I've watched you build this company up uh, from, and I've gotten your whole store. You built it up from very, basically from your spare bedroom yeah. to where it is today. And I'm completely fascinated uh, by you and what you've done. So I really appreciate you coming on, coming on this little, uh, little show of mine. Thanks so much for having me. We're right. all we're here to inspire others, right? Absolutely. And we talked about it on our little call the other day about just how amazing Tampa Bay is, right? And how we all have this weird sense of wanting to help each other in this town. Yeah. The entrepreneurial community here is, it's unlike anything anyone has experienced anywhere. I mean, I think that people naturally think that the entrepreneurial hub is Silicon Valley um, or maybe some of these fringe cities. But we have an amazing community here in Tampa, and it's full of entrepreneurs that love to inspire and share. Right. Even when they're competitors, they still talk. So right, right. It's a really cool place. There's a lot of theories around it, whether it's that Midwestern roots or it's the Southern roots or whatever it is. There's some kind of a melding pot thing going on in, in Tampa Bay. St. Petersburg, by the way, people forget Tampa Bay and St. Petersburg. And, uh, and it is quite special. And it's, uh, you know... I feel like I have an unlimited number of entrepreneurs that are going to say yes to me to come on this uh, program, and uh, and you're you're my next victim. <laughs> <laughs> well, I so, think that's one of the one of my favorite things about this entrepreneurial community here in Tampa Bay yeah. is that no one says no. That's true. That's true. You'd be a, it'd be a real it'd be a real um, insult <laughs> in this town if somebody said no. I mean, that's, but that's who we are. We're yes that's people. Right. That's true. That's true. We are. And we've all helped each other. And our, our city continues to, continues to rank uh, high, uh, top five, top 10 in the country on so many scales of uh, startups and ecosystem and so forth. Um, okay. So let's get into it. Um, I have a little, um, I have a little opening slide that I want to get your, uh, your fast opinion on. Uh, can okay. you see that? Can you see that okay? Yep. All right. So I threw this up there. I didn't give you any fair warning on this, as you know, but I, I did pull this out of our pre-call. Yeah. Um, is it okay to move the goalpost? As in when, you, when you're starting a company early and as you go, um, things change uh, and uh, your, your goals and what, what is uh, your definition of success changes? Maybe I wanted to open with your, your, your thoughts on that. I love it. There's yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Tell me why. <laughs> so is it okay to move the goalpost? It, of course it is. And there are good reasons and there are bad reasons to move the goalpost. <laughs> okay. All right. So, um, so you know, sometimes you, um, you achieve your goal mm -hmm. or sometimes your goal changes. And a lot of that has to do with circumstances. And as an entrepreneur, those circumstances might be things in your business. Mm -hmm. They could be things in your personal life. They could be family related. But it is okay to move the goalpost. And it's okay to move it for good reasons. And it's okay to right. move it for bad reasons. Right, right. And like, and you've had to do that in your own, in your own business. And that's what brought this topic up when you and I were talking. I was like, hey, okay, so what are like the top three things that you would want to give advice to aspiring or early struggling entrepreneurs? And you were, this was one of them you, you threw my way. And so you, this was one you've lived and this has been very real for you in building up Chaka. Yeah, absolutely. When I very first started Chaka, I thought, okay, 
I can do this. I'm going to start this company. Um, someone will want to buy it and I will sell it in a couple of years. And I had plenty of opportunities. I have people knocking on my door all the time. Um, but especially now, there's, um, but it's okay to move the goalpost. Mm -hmm. I started Chaka with the mindset that I was going to build it and I was going to sell it. Well, about, I don't know, it was probably less than a year in, I entertained three offers. Mm. Mm -hmm. And when I started looking at it and understanding what that meant in my space, <laughs> what's interesting is that that means um, that I was selling myself. Right. Right. And so when we were a small company, I had a team of, I don't know, at that point in time, maybe five people. And I was selling myself into a very long contract. Right. Um, right, right. Conservative. Yeah. And that's not what you got into it for. <laughs> that's kind of not how, why you become an entrepreneur. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Not to give up and to work. Yeah. To be in servitude of someone. Uh, no. <laughs> Right. Um, and so I kind of quickly said, okay, maybe that's not what my goal is. And in that instance, and I think that was the first time I moved my own goalpost. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there's, you here to set achievable goals, yeah. but part of being successful and building something amazing is setting outrageous goals, yes. um, audacious goals. Things that when you say, I'm going to do this, other people say you're crazy. When my husband, who was my fiance at the time, and I told our best friends that I was going to leave my job as a VP at an advertising agency and start my own company, they said, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> of course they did. I don't think it's a good idea. Uh, and, um, and, you know, but things, but things change, right? Right. And so, you know, you have to set these goals and sometimes you achieve them. Yeah. And sometimes you don't. So that original goal was to build this company and sell it. And when that became a possible reality, that was no longer my goal. I get it. So it's almost like, you know, sometimes you, you move the post because you've achieved that one and you need to move to another one. Um, like getting someone to buy your company was fundamentally achieved when people were trying to buy it. Um, and then you realize that's not the new goal. The new goal is to build a great company that, uh, that I want to continue to make, um, amazing. But then sometimes, like you said earlier too, like sometimes you, you, you realize that that's that goal that you haven't even achieved. Uh, it's not a failure because guess what? That's not a goal you even want anymore. You, the, the, the company you've, you've decided needs to go in this different direction or we need to achieve something very different, that ability to, for quote unquote pivot, right? Yeah, um, a pivot, a move. Mm -hmm. And so you still have goals, but your goals change. Yeah. And so it is, it's so important to set those goals and what those milestones are and why they're significant. Why are those things significant to you? So for me now, what is significant to me and what I've realized after doing this and having this company for 11 years, 11 years, um, is that I like creating jobs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when I, the very first uh, real office, like big girl office that we had in the West Shore area, um, I had an employee come and ask me for copies of their pay stubs because they had applied for a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And I thought, you're doing what? <laughs> I remember this story. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, you're like, what are you realize? What, you're like, do you realize what you're doing to me right now? <laughs> and I was like, wait, you're going to buy a house because you think your job's stable, which, mm. you know, and so I can remember the day that that was really scary. Wow. Uh, but how things changed for me over time is that I love it. And, mm. you know, within the last year, we actually had a banker come in from one of our um, from one of our banking relationships and speak to our employees about mortgages and how to become homeowners. We have yeah. somebody we have a VP here at Chaka that is also a licensed real estate agent uh, for fun. And, you know, there's. Um, now there's something within our culture that really encourages home ownership. And, right. um, and so I, I began to thrive on that responsibility and not be scared of it. There was one other thing you said to me about goal setting too, that I thought was great with pointing out, you said it was okay to not, it was okay to, it was okay to be uncertain about your next goal, this whole uncertainty. Cause entrepreneurs, as we know, we, a lot of the, the real entre entrepreneurs who've been there, done that, know this to tr be true, but aspiring entrepreneurs don't really know the following is that entrepreneurs are, it's a, it's a bit of a lonely solo journey in a lot of ways. And you, it's the mind game a lot of times between the ears. And there's a lot of self-confidence issues that we have to deal with. And, um, you know, we're there to make everybody else feel better, but nobody, very few people are there to make us feel better, which is why one of the reasons why I know you, you joined EO as an organization, but generally speaking, it's always going on between the ears to keep yourself. And so you told me it's okay to be uncertain about your, your next goals. Tell me what you meant by that. Yeah, um, I think that it's okay to to know that your goalpost is moving, but to not know where you want to move it yet. Mm -hmm. So if you think about that, when I was hit with the reality of I'm going to build my company and sell it, and then I'm sitting there with offers and three year earnouts, five year earnouts, and I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't want to go back to working for someone. Right. And it not being my culture that yeah. I get to build, that I get to own, that I get to foster and looking at at what it meant to me. I knew that that's not what I wanted anymore, but it took me a while to know what I wanted next. Right. So you were there was uncertainty, right? Uh, about there was that. uncertainty. And I think that there I almost I almost felt for a while like there was a stigma that came along with that. Mm. When people said, oh, well, what is your goal? You don't know exactly what your goals are. <laughs> and I was like, well, it was to build it and sell it. But yeah, now I don't want to do that. Right. And so mm -hmm. there, you know, you have these moments of uncertainty. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, can I go as bold to say, too, sometimes with entrepreneurship or growing a small, a small early stage company, sometimes your goal is to just keep fight the next month, you know, fight, right. fight for the next month or two of survival next quarter. Sometimes I hate to say, it, but early on, it's a, it's a fight for survival and keeping your head above water. And to me, that's a, that's a goal. That's a great goal for the first couple years of business, honestly. Right. It, I mean, it certainly is. Right. And you know, when, um, when, when I, when I started, I know this is something that you and I talked about is that when I started out and started my company, I actually said, I gave myself a set period of time that I had to be successful. And I probably gave myself too short of a window, but fortunately that made me hustle really hard and make it. Uh, <laughs> right. But, but right. yeah, I, mean, I think you have to, you have to have, um, you have to have your boundaries, your definitions of success and failure. 
Well, we're going to come back and get into that. And in the meantime, though, I want to touch on our um, on our sponsor briefly, and that is uh, Secure Startup. So securestartup.com is actually a place you go that really caters to early stage founders and investors and all the document interaction that goes on between early stage founders and investors and the, the security that's involved and the sign-offs that are involved in a really clean, organized way to handle that. And, um, and so Secure Startup uh, focuses on that. And it was surprised how many really few good solutions there were out there. Luckily for you, Janelle, you, 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 haven't, you, didn't, you didn't need a lot of investor money to do the things you've done. And uh, congratulations on that, by the way, by itself. Thank you. <laughs> people think, of, people think of raising money and investi- investors is such a romantic thing. And on a certain level, it is. But uh, remember we talked about earlier about having another boss or like, you know, people forget that bringing on investors is a, is a way of bringing on a new boss, by the right. way. <laughs> so. and, um, and yeah, and so I actually, that's, that's a really important thing. And I don't know if you and I have actually talked about this before or not, but I actually had an offer uh, from someone that I knew, um, very prominent person here in the Tampa community. And, um, and he said, you know, if you're going to do this, I'll invest in you. And I said, well, what would that look like? And he asked me to kind of give him some information about what my costs were going to be for the first year. And so when I boiled down what all my costs were going to be, um, it didn't take much to start my company. The only thing I was asking for was a reasonable salary for myself. And he came back to me um, with, sure, I'll, I'll do it. I want 51%. I was going to say, I was going to say like 20, 30%, but no, he wanted 51. 51? Really? uh, 51? 51. Mm. And I'll tell you what, I actually, I I appreciate this person so much. Um, And so I, uh, I went back and I said, I think I'm going to do it on my own because the only thing I would be, I would be giving up more than half my company to secure a salary for myself. And if I'm going to do this, right, I need to have confidence in myself. And so I said, thanks, but no thanks. And um, he's still a business mentor to this day. So. Do you, I, don't, I think you know, I don't have to say how epically epic that moment was for you in your life. And to be able to say, to pass on that, given the fact that you'd never been an entrepreneur out there on your own without a salary before, the fact that how scary that was, the fact that somebody was dangling a salary in front of you, you could have the best of both worlds. You could build right. and run your, you could build and run your own company and, and get your salary. Yep. Uh, wow. How perfect is that? And then to have that, the will and fortitude to, to pass on that and to see what that trade-off was. Somebody wouldn't see it. Did you, did you, did you, how long do you feel like you, you seriously considered it? Was it, you know, did it, was it something you almost did or did you immediately know? No, I think I probably responded to him within an hour. Oh, wow. Good. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not with I can see why you're the CEO. Okay. I see why you're the CEO. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. Well, Janelle, I can't wait to get into your, your backstory. We have something a little bit in common. We both grew up kind of in the country, by the way, and yeah. you may remember that. And you got me beat because you grew up in a one light, um, one traffic light town in, in West Virginia. Um, the little town I grew up in uh, had maybe, I gonna say I, it's not more than many more than one. It, I have to say, to be fair, it was probably two, maybe three. Uh-huh. Um, but I may have you beat on the fact of this point, and I didn't give you any heads up on this. 
how many years did you live on a dirt road in your growing up? Oh, all of them. Dang, because I'm me too. Yeah. By the way, and so we we've we've got this country bunking. Uh, we've got this this thing in common. And I think, by the way, I like to say I like to think of myself that you know, growing up in the country in, in a small town in the South, really, um, I learned toughness. I don't know about you, but did you feel like you gained a lot of toughness living out in kind of in the country like that in the South? Yeah. You know what I think it is. I don't know if I would call it toughness, but I would call it grit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I, and. I think that it, uh, with grit, that it's not just that you're tough, because I think that you're tough mentally and physically, um, but I think that there's also this layer of determination. Yeah. And there's a uh, there's there's a a work ethic, like a farmer work ethic. Yes. Yes. I was about to say it comes. It, it kind of you have to kind of draw the line to our parents a little bit and our parents' parents. I mean, because if you are in those small towns that we just described, chances are your parents had even deeper kind of country farm work ethic roots, and then their grandparents. So it like it yeah. it's getting passed to you. Like the things that my parents wouldn't tolerate is incredible compared to today, right? Like it's not even it's not even comparable, right? <laughs> You know, it's right. Yeah. No, the, uh, I mean, <laughs> we, I, my parents did have a small farm in my earlier years, Yeah. but in my, uh, in my high school years, we lived in a, a log cabin in the woods. Um, it was, <laughs> that's awesome. I didn't yeah, know that. <laughs> it was like a good, uh, a little over half a mile, um, off the main road. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, Th- that main that off that main road it was a dirt road all the way back yeah there. me and too what- me, me too i can't this big confession on my bike like i me too i i think you're not gonna have a dirt road contest to see who was on one the longest uh, this is great but there is that's where the grit the dirt right look at the parallel right um, yeah and like one of the examples i was going to give is that that half a mile long dirt road um that was uphill both ways by the way <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was um my it wasn't a farm back there it was the woods but because it was so far back up this, you know, private dirt mm-hmm. road, my dad had a tractor because yeah. if it snowed, we had Mine to plow too. ourselves out. Yes. And there's just a lot that goes into that growing up. And even though you were a girl, I'm sure you, you got treated uh, like a little boy half the time because of living out there and the farm. And, and that's just how things are in that, in that world. Um, so, I, I, I just I, I could talk to you all day about that piece. Uh, you ultimately be ultimately ended up in gymnastics, which is a very non-farm girl sport. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you what happened is that in 1984, yeah, yeah 1984 Olympics, Mary Lou Retton won. Oh the yeah, and Mary Lou Retton is from Fairmont, West Virginia. Oh wow, yeah. And so there was a little girl from West Virginia that went to the Olympics. And yeah. so every little girl in West Virginia knew about that. And um, a short time after that, after having watched that, I was insane. I would run through the house and I would literally jump and flip my body over the arm of the couch onto yeah. the couch. Um, <laughs> I believe that was my ball. Um, I would stand on the coffee table and I would jump off and I would stick landings. And um, I was six, <laughs> six or seven years old. And someone came to my school and did a gymnastics performance. And then my mom talked to them and found out where there was a gym. And the nearest gym was 45 minutes away. 
um, in Cumberland, Maryland. And, um, and I started gymnastics shortly after that. Wow. And then, and then, um, and we were talking about the, the things that you can learn in gymnastics other than obviously the physical elements of it, but this whole idea of individual sport and a team sport at the same time, right? You felt like that was uh, kind of a big impact on you. Yeah, definitely. And, and gymnastics isn't the only sport that has that, but so few sports have that element of individual achievement and team achievement. Mm-hmm. And you can be uh, you can be successful and be on a not very good team. But the most rewarding experience mm-hmm. is 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 having a successful team and being a successful individual. And I can tell you, um, my daughter is uh, it, she just turned seven. She mm-hmm. is a competitive gymnast, which I'm very happy about. But I do. I don't try to force it. And uh, she competed last year. She made team and she competed last year. And when she talks about her achievements in her first year of competition, she talks about um, in the same sentence that her favorite meet was going for gold where she took first place on floor and her team won first place overall. It's one sentence. It's individual and team in the same element. Wow. I'm not talking to a tiger mom right now, am I? No, 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 no. And you know what is, I, um, it's actually, it's been a challenge during COVID for her to be having gymnastics over Zoom. Okay. Um, because that wow. does put the parent in the position of coaching a little bit or helping yeah. the guide. And, um, yeah. She's 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 far too alpha to be coached by me. I got. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like how you can identify that early and, and and make adjustments. Okay, so so you you went to West Virginia University, right? Yeah. Um, and I hate to bring up a little bit of a touchy spot, but I got to You were very close to your dad, and yeah. uh, and so, um, and then I think you know you shared with me that he passed away when you were a senior in college, right? What mm-hmm. um what kind of impact um do you feel like your dad had on who you are today? I could ask. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, my dad was a very hardworking man um, yeah. that gave up um, literally everything for his children. So yeah, yeah. Um, he, my dad worked for CSX. Um, he worked railroad company. Railroad, yep. Mm-hmm. He worked in the yard, um, and he the would, railroad yard, not necessarily the front yard. You're t- <laughs> you said the yard, the, like, the railroad yard, the, the railroad yard. Yes. <laughs> Um, and, uh, I can remember him duct taping his sneakers together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he was, um, he was also the president of the union. Um, oh. and yeah. one of the benefits that he, that, that, that they had as you know, that they had fought for through the union was that they actually got a pair of work boots purchased by the company like once a year. Hmm. And, um, and I can remember that being a big deal for him to get that new pair of work boots every year. Wow. And he got that, but he got that negotiated for everybody or yeah, no, that was for, that's everybody. Wow. had that. Wow. So not um, only for himself, but like he knew, he knew how important just good work boots were for the average person working at the railroad in West Virginia. Like that was a yeah. thing. And um, there's, there are a lot of stories about, about my dad, but okay. he was this labor worker but he was also a leader. Yeah. Because you do not become the president of the of the transportation union. <laughs> yeah. Um, by not being a leader, right? Yeah. And I can even remember as a child, I can remember them going on strike. 
Okay. That's a um, tough spot for him to be in. Yeah. I, and I can remember him saying the union is striking and it means we're not going to have money for a while. Yeah. Yeah. That's heavy. And, um, and so there was a lot, there was a lot I learned. Uh, I learned from my dad from well, a leadership standpoint and from a moral compass standpoint, the work ethic and all that, but also just again, that back to being the president of the union, like that also gives me an indication. Cause you said earlier about how your biggest pleasure in your job is giving people, you know, jobs and, and building your team. And I'm thinking that's a great, that's a cool parallel with your dad in terms of yeah. like, that's a part that clearly he had a nurturing kind of element to him to want to be that. That's kind of cool. Um, so West Virginia, you graduated, you want to be a writer. <laughs> I wanted to be a writer. I was an English major. <laughs> you, yeah, you were what? Sorry. I was an English major. Okay, that's right. Yeah, I thought you said a forest ranger. I was like, what? I don't remember no, that. No, no, no. I was an English major. I, um, I, yeah. I wanted, uh, I, I wanted to be a writer, and, um, and so. I wanted, I wanted to write and I wanted to write articles, right? I wanted to write for a magazine. And what's kind of funny to me is that I don't, I don't think I'm too far from that. I still love contributing thought leadership pieces. I like yeah. writing blog posts. I like writing and I still do it. I just have, and you have opinions and you have opinions and I have opinions that I like to share. So, <laughs> um, so I am, I am writing. I think that I, I, I think that I'm doing what I thought I was going to do and much, much more. Yeah. You just get, you're just going to get paid a little bit better for it this way. Right. Not by, not by the word. Right. <laughs> and, or paid very little for the word. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, so an English major writer, um, tell me about that first job out of school. Um, well, what's interesting is that while I was in, while I was in college, I actually worked at Outback Steakhouse and they had opened one in Morgantown, West Virginia. And when they were opening an outback, it was um, it was a process, man. Everybody wanted that job. Yeah, it was it was the coolest restaurant that had come. To oh, I remember it was ever. I remember hot, big, big time, big time. And so yeah. this is uh, late nineties, um, and I um, I had to take a personality test. It was the first time I had ever taken a personality test, and that was one of the entry level stages of of the interview process. And my roommate and I both got called back for interviews and we both got hired. So we were super excited. And I worked there um, for, oh, a year or a year and a half um, towards the end of, end of school, just before my dad died. And um, I got to do some pretty cool things working for Outback. Um, they selected a few of us to go to Pittsburgh and open um, their, they opened a location inside of PNC Park in the in the ballpark, and um, I don't know whether the location's still there, but it was very cool, and we got to go into the opening uh, for the beginning of baseball season. It was an amazing experience, and um, and then when I moved to Tampa, Florida, I transferred from the Morgantown Outback to the original Outback on Henderson. Nice, nice, and there's a. You know, I, I spent a good deal of time in hospitality, um, waiting tables and bartending. What do you think that taught you? What do you what do you feel like that that stuff taught you? How to deal with people. <laughs> right. Um, no, I mean, there is there is something to be said about someone having a successful career or successful yeah. years in hospitality. Um, 
I did it a lot through college. I did it a lot through um, my young adult years. Um, and you, being able to learn how to interact and balance the demands of multiple people. Yeah. Um, there's two things I want to say. There's, you, there's a venture capitalist, famous one that uh, his name is Chris Saka. He's got a rule. Uh, he, I think he's semi-serious about this. If, uh, he won't invest. He's one. Of the, he was an early investor in Twitter and all this good stuff. He said he won't invest in a, in a founder, early stage founder, if they never worked in food service. <laughs> he's like, you know what? Um, he said he just won't it, do it because he, he, you know, he. <laughs> it's happened multiple times here where um, where we've if we've been hiring for an entry level person. And I'll be like, oh, we should call this person. And they're like, this person has worked at Red Lobster. And I'm like, we should call them. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. They There's... also have a bachelor's in marketing. <laughs> That's right. This is somebody who's who's working their tail off and knows how to like be in high stress situations and yes. still and, and and you know, want to know something? There is a sense of pride that is good, and there is a sense of pride that is very bad. And so someone that is too proud to have their bachelor's degree and go work in a restaurant, um, that that's, that's a bad sense of pride. That's right. And you may wonder, I love this. I love, I love uh, this because people may wonder why I'm digging into all of this stuff early on and your, your first job. And what does that have to do with the chocolate? that the purpose of this, this whole podcast and even my class is, and you, and you came and spoke to my class uh, a year and a half ago or so is I really love when I want, I want people, especially young people, to, to see someone who's who's broken through to you know multi million dollar success and so forth to hear like really li literally how they started whether it was a humble story or not more I'm more interested in the fact that you were not engineered or set up for anything that you're doing today you were you came from this small one like town in the country you went to then you went to school to be a writer then you ended up in food service right so like <laughs> this is not supposed to like happen. You know what I mean? And that what I like about that is now people so that so the people who are out there who are aspiring to do something big with their life or be an entrepreneur or start something or whatever it is, and they're early and they're and they're and and they think that they're they're not there's no way they could do it because they're completely out of position, they feel. Right. Yeah. You know? you know, I think um I think you have to really look at life with the outlook of to constantly be learning, um, to constantly be ready to learn and evolve. And so I'll give you um, a little bit more of my work history, my yeah. um, the yeah. resume that's not on the resume, right? All right. And, um, yes. And, <laughs> and so yeah. after Outback. Breaking um, news, everybody. <laughs> yeah, the, the resume before the resume. If this stuff is not on LinkedIn. No. And this, and, this, and this interview will never be published anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... You know, before, um, so came down, was working at Outback. I ended up getting a job at a car rental company. And it was a, um, a smaller regional player as a manager trainee, common job for people coming, you know, come fresh out of college. And it was, it was a sales job. It was, you have to, do you buy the insurance when you rent a car? Uh, no, I mean, you I've learned that. I a car for me. I okay. <laughs> You would, I already can, I already see where this is going. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and so, you know, I've, I, I've never gone half hearted at anything. I, I, you know, I, everything you go into, I don't know, part of that mentality that West Virginia upbringing was to, to give everything I do a hundred percent. 
And so even in that manager trainee job, I gave it 100%. And I had something kind of bad happen. I thought I was getting promoted to be the branch manager of one of the stores because someone was leaving. And then they went and hired from outside for it. And I didn't yep. get it. Yep. And I went and asked why I didn't get it. And they said that my, my, my direct boss had said that I wasn't interested. I remember this story, by the way. You told this to my class. I'm remembering this now. And so I went to my direct boss and I said, you said that I wasn't interested? And yeah. he said, I can't run this branch without you. Oh, boom. And I will tell you, I had, um, I had recently started coaching gymnastics for fun on the side. And I had, you know, done gymnastics and coached gymnastics when I was younger. And so um, I thought, I've got a fallback plan. And I left and took my lunch break. And I typed up a letter of resignation. And I came back and I handed it in. And, and you knew right then that this is not, this is somebody, your boss, so to speak, that will never have your interest in mind. He would never have my interest in mind. Yeah. He'll have his own. And, um, and that's not a future. And I'll tell you the most important lesson that I learned from that was in leadership and how to manage and lead people. Mm -hmm. You cannot hold individuals back or you will lose them. Yeah. And so the moment you manage people where you're holding them back for your own self, self good, it's short not term. going to go well. Short-term strategy. Yeah. So, but the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel from this is that I left and I was coaching gymnastics and I was bartending. I got a bartending job on the side. And then one of my patrons um, in the bar was an owner in a company and gave me a marketing job. There it is. Right? Just, just uh, working hard to get lucky. That's what my dad, who also passed away not long ago, used to, my, one of my favorite sayings, you know, and it's not uncommon. He said, you have to work hard to get lucky. Like this whole idea, right? Like good luck, luck serendipity comes to those that are busting their butts. Mm -hmm. And then it doesn't always come still, by the way. So you can't even, but you definitely won't come if you're not, if you're not, right? right? Yeah, you, you, gotta, you gotta hustle to find those opportunities. Yeah, and in and and there, or if they are they if they're gonna gonna fall in your lap, then you better be in action. You better be moving so that they yep. can happen, right? Yeah. And so that's how you got your first marketing job. That's how I got my first marketing that's job. Awesome. Um, and then look at you now. First of all, you talk of marketing. You know, how many employees now? Let's jump to that real quick. Um, there are twenty six or twenty seven. Twenty six, twenty seven. Twenty six, twenty seven. Yeah. Um, well, all right. Well, I just want to throw that out there just to go from, you know, where you were to, to that today and 11, 11 years, uh, you guys win awards, uh, every year. It's just for those watching. It's, uh, um, it Chaka marketing is a, uh, digital marketing agency, right? Digital market agency and media as well. And so you, what are some of your real quick, if you, if you, the ones you can share, some of your clients are some pretty big names, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. We've been working with various business units of Experian for um, over 10 years. Yeah. Um, we work with Shutterfly. Um, we worked with them, oh, I'm going to say four to five years. Um, and um, Harvard Business Review is another great client. Um, we have many, many great clients. I always try to name drop the ones that I think people will be recognized. Yeah. And so they hire you to do their online marketing, their lead generation, I would imagine, their advertising campaigns, all that yeah. good stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we do paid search, um, uh, paid social and programmatic display. 
Um, last year, we actually expanded our service offerings into doing creative services as well. And where we've been looking at um, expanding our service lines and why we expanded into creative was that that was the biggest barrier to turning around media campaigns or optimizing media campaigns was waiting on those creative resources to come either from um, internally within these large companies um, or from exterior agencies. And then oftentimes they might have been a little bit more brand centric than um, than call to action oriented. Right. And for the majority of media we're doing, it's very response oriented, um, has very specific KPIs and we need strong calls to action in our creative. And so we um, we took the opportunity to build that out. So I know you guys, you win awards pretty much every year for different things. I think I'm going to take a stab. I think maybe the one you might be the most proud of is this best places to work award, right? That you seem yeah. to get. How many times have you guys won that one? We have ranked um, many times under many different publications, but I'm, I'll tell you the one that I'm the most excited about. We've ranked on their list twice, um, but in 2019, Advertising Age, or ad age, as most people call it in the industry, um, they rank the best places to work in advertising. Mm. And so this is amongst the giants. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, you go the- New York, uh, LA, right? Yeah, San Francisco. I mean, these um, these are, this is advertising as a whole. This is advertising technology. This is advertising agency. These are media platforms. So anyone in advertising is eligible to apply for this one. And they have this huge process of sourcing, um, you know, questioning employees and having all these like anonymous surveys um, go out and get feedback and full long text answers. And um, they when they called me and said that we had made it prominently on the list um, and they were getting some some additional information and some and, and, and some pictures for the for the print publication. But we ranked number one in 2019. And um, number one, number one in advertising. (laughs) And so, um, so no company in Florida, no company in Florida has ever achieved number one on the ad age list. Wow. And these, these firms in New York, LA were like, Chaco, who, what? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Hey, by the way, speaking of that, tell us what Chaka stands for. What does it mean? Where does it come from? Okay. Chaka is Hawaiian surfer lingo uh, for better than gnarly. So better than better than gnarly. Yeah. Um, so when I when I set out to name the company, I was doing a lot of research and I um, I found this website of Hawaiian surfer lingo. And so you'll hear surfers say Shaka, Shaka, bro. Uh, yeah. Um, and that that's that's what I went with. Did my uh, you guys say it Shaka? Do you, do you like to say a Chaka for your company? Which way do you we, like? We say Chaka. Got it. Just to separate a little bit. Got yeah. It. Yeah, but we've I, I've never corrected anybody for saying Shaka. It honestly it doesn't it doesn't bother me one bit. That's the root. I kind of that's, it authentic. I I with you, yeah. And and uh, my guess is you've never been on a surfboard. I'm just taking a stab at that. Um, I have never been on a surfboard <laughs> ever. I knew um, it. I had a feeling. Um, I think that um, I think that the 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 surfboard is a great um, visual representation of the vibe. Yeah, um, of course. That you get at Chaka, that you get here in our Tampa Bay community. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I do love being out on the water. Yeah, that's going to be a cool day one day. You might be like, you might be like 65 or something. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to learn to surf. And it's gonna, it's just going to be a thing you're going to do. It's going to be amazing. 
Um, all right. So you know what I want to do? I want to, I will now, I, I love the way this, we, you know, you can see I have this little meandering style. Now we're going to shift back uh, to that time. You've risen the ranks in marketing and you've even, you've risen to the point of being a VP of a whole department that does um, digital marketing for a company. And that's where I want to pick up the story because that was the job you had before this all, this whole thing happened. Yeah. If you don't mind. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'll talk about that. I had a really great experience at the company that I worked at before I started Chaka. Um, but there were mixed experiences of people that came through there. And ultimately what happened is the company went through a bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of business lessons that were learned through that time. Uh, but ultimately what I learned was that prior to me being at that company, they had gone through a bankruptcy before. Um, so this was at least the second and I could already tell from the way that the restructure was being set up and was likely getting approved by the courts that it was still not going to be in a position to be successful. And so, um, for me, I was looking at if I stay, if I stay there, I'm going to have multiple bankruptcies on my own resume and to be an executive, to be a VP level in a company like this, I actually, I was concerned for the blemish it could leave on me. And, um, and so, you know, I, I started thinking about it and the more I thought about it, um, the realer it became. And while the company was going through the bankruptcy, I kind of, I incorporated a business. I had, I, I had a, um, a former colleague that, you know, wasn't, that was from that company that had gone to work somewhere else that um, started working with me. He understood that it was side work, that he was only going to get after hours responses from me. And, um, and that was my first client. And so, um, you know, I did that um, in February of 2009. And in November of 2009, um, I actually made the jump to doing it full time. Wow. And by the way, there's a little there's a little storyline in there that I think is very relevant for today, uh, given the, you know, the COVID situation, this economic problem that's going to stick around for a while. This this idea of uh, of, of a side hustle, um, you know, when it's uh, you know, when it's within the within the bounds of fairness to your employer, so to speak. But 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 realizing that we all have to take care of ourselves in one way or the other. And um if the company that you're in is not, um, you know, if it's if it's questionable in terms of its um, viability, uh, mm-hmm. if you are if the if you have it's a culture that you maybe you don't even see yourself in very long, whatever the whatever the insecurity that you feel, um, the idea of of starting something on the side, even as something as simple as selling on Etsy or selling products or could be anything, but just putting something out there to uh to to cover yourself a little bit and and you might it might be a lifeline at some point right yeah i mean for me what happened is that i had that little side hustle going right um but um it wasn't materializing into anything else i had tried to pitch other business i had tried to get it up and going but until i dedicated myself to it until I ripped the Band-Aid and said, I'm going to give this 100%, I didn't land new business. But from the time that I updated my LinkedIn that I was now on my own, um, I had a contract in my inbox in 24 hours that I had been trying to get for six months. Yeah. 
So that's the universe. We, we talked about this and, and the, the universe, there's this like law of entrepreneurial universe that's out there that when an, when a, when an entrepreneur, and this goes with not even beyond entrepreneurship, any, but anytime somebody takes a huge risk and puts themselves on the line and makes a commitment to something, anything, I don't care if it's losing weight or if it's, or if it's, you know, gaining weight or if it's muscle Whatever or you anything, some kind of thing where you're putting yourself and you've, and you've, put yourself on the line and out there for something that you're committed to people respond to that and not just friends and family, but even clients can, can like all of a sudden want to throw you money and contract. Like it's amazing, yeah. right? So like a big magnet. The crazy thing was, is that the last piece of business that we had pitched at, at the company I worked for um, when they were going through the bankruptcy, we had pitched Harry and David, the gift basket company. And we missed out on the pitch. Um, we didn't get the business there. And it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back for me because I thought if I, there is not, I kind of do a postmortem, what happened? What could we have done differently? And when I looked back at how we had pitched that deal, I couldn't come up with one single thing that I could have done differently that would have resulted in a different outcome. And that was probably the most frustrating point of my, of, 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 of my life was not being able to evolve. Right. Yeah. And there was nothing you uh, could have done differently. Like you literally, there was no answer. There was no answer. It was beyond my control. I could not have changed the outcome of that situation. And, um, and so the, the, what's really crazy is that when I updated my LinkedIn and put my, that I was out on my own, the contact from Harry and David emailed me right away and said, what's this? <laughs> and, um, and, um, the, the two today, best two the two best words <laughs> that an entrepreneur could ever hear. What's this? I like that. <laughs> Question mark. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, and, You're like, uh, yeah. And so in January, um, I started working with Harry and David and we worked with them for many years after that. So that taking that leap, um, and, and that's the, I want to talk about that. So, okay. How scary was it? All right, let's put you, let's put yourself in week one or, or week minus one. You tell me where you want to drop in the, the one week before yeah. the one week after, right? Yeah. So I would say let's let's talk about one week before. Yeah. So uh, so one week before that, I actually like quit my job and went all in on, on my own business. Um, I got married. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> forgot about that. Wow. Um, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I've got a story about having a brand new baby in a brand new house when I did one of my big quits. And then I did another interview recently of someone else who had a brand new baby. So this marriage thing is new, new, new wrinkle, new wrinkle. Um, but, but thank God when, you know, I had been talking about it for a while and, um, and they, uh, the company that I was at, they made me a very generous offer to try and get me to stay. And I came home from, from having dinner with the CEO and he gave me this very generous offer in terms of um, a percentage of the company um, he, and a very generous salary offer. And I told him I would think about it. Um, and I went home and I told my husband, this is what he offered me. And he said, Your brand new husband. <laughs> um, yeah. And my, my brand new husband. And I said, um, I said, this is this, this is what they offered me to not go out on my own. And he said, um, yeah, but the best player on a losing team is still a loser. Don't you want to be a winner? Mm, wow. Boom. So he is always good for a sports analogy. <laughs> yeah. 
and, um, and, and saying and, something bold and saying something bold and brave on top of that. I mean, bold and brave. And, yeah. um, and we've never looked back. Yeah, that's so cool. So you got that's and so you you've been part partners in more ways than one since and since that day, really, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so now the the week two the 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 week okay you won these early accounts pretty much out of the gate. You were working out of your spare bedroom, I think, or something like that yeah. out of your home, right? Yeah. Um, the, the, one, the other thing that we wanted to touch on was this idea of runway. Uh, you shared with me uh, you had three months uh, saved, so to speak. And it was funny about three months. Three months is funny, right? Because one side of this coin, you, we said that if, if uh, there's a certain camp that would say only three months, you're crazy. And then we said there's another camp over here of the entrepreneurial mindset that says you got three whole months. You can totally do anything in three months. Yeah. So, um, so this is the way I looked at it. Was that okay? So the, I started. I started Chalk in two thousand nine, and so if anybody remembers anything, we were um, in a recession um, at this point in time, uh, which is actually a really great time to start a business. Which we can go into that if either today yeah. or another uh, on yeah. another show. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it was two thousand nine, and I had a four hundred one k. I was in my twenties, but I had a four hundred one k that I was really proud of, and. Um, I watched it basically get cut in half overnight and I thought I'll just, I'll withdraw it. And that was what I had for savings. I withdrew my 401k and based on that amount of money, I could afford my bills and to eat for three months. And so I said, I have three months to make this work or I have to get a job. Right. And and uh, and we saw you said to me the other day, like if 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 you had told anybody this, which you because of course you didn't, they would have desperately tried to talk you out of it. They would, you know, right? right? Like, yeah, I mean, oh gosh, yeah. you know, anybody yeah. would have said, if that's all the savings you got, you need to save on yeah. that. Like, you need to use those three months to get your get. You need to use those three months to get a job. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, and then. But, you know, also, you know, you talked about if the three months ran out to get a job. But I got to ask you this pointed question on that. I, I suspect that you didn't have much doubt. I mean, you weren't working from a position of doubt or, or insecure. I, you kind of knew you had it. Am I right? Come on. Right. Yeah, I um, I knew I had it. And I and I, I will tell you, I actually had more so based my 90 days on how long it was going to take for the cash flow to begin coming in. Right. Because for for me and the way that this business works is that. Yeah. The work that I do on January 1st, you don't get paid till I'm not going to bill for it until mm -hmm. February 1st. Yeah. And then they're going to wait 30, 60 days minimum. And they're gonna, yeah. And so if they have net 30 terms, it's not due until March 2nd. And we know how um, timely everyone's uh, accounts payable departments are right in a, re in a recession, even worse in a, in a recession. And so I knew that it was going to take me every bit three months to see a single check. And that was if I acted really fast. Yeah. Which I did. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to let that wash over that. That's that piece of that's, that's epic. I can't wait for people to watch and hear and he'll let that sink, let that kind of sink and soak in. Whew. Um, the, okay. So really I, I think, so by the way, I wrote down here, you're the unintended entrepreneur, but we already pretty much covered that wasn't in the, wasn't in the plans, but it, but it seems like it slowly became as you was as you were rising the ranks in management. You kept rising from management. I mean, VP. Yeah. Like you started sensing that you had a thing for leadership. You had a thing for 
it had to be some risk taking. You you probably felt in your bones that I could I could do this myself. Did that start welling up? Yeah, and I had people telling me this. Um, mm -hmm. So I had um, there was a sales executive at, at the at, at that previous company that had pulled me aside one day, and he said, um, he said, you know, it's not often that you come into people that can do the work and sell it. You know, that's a unique combination, right? And I said, yeah. oh, really? And he said, yeah. He was like, most people can't do both. You could probably do this on your own. And that was just kind of a casual conversation. Um, and I don't know, I guess I think that I innately thought that I always would, but it wasn't something that had really manifested or um, ever really been talked about. And what happened is that when the company I was working for was going through the bankruptcy and they were working on their um, restructure, there was a company that came in and evaluated buying the assets. And when that company came in, they um, they did these interviews with different um, executives throughout the company. And when they sat down with me, they said, where do you see yourself in 10 years? And I said, oh, probably doing this for myself. <laughs> and um, my interview lasted a few more minutes. And then, you know, they dismissed me. And then the CEO of that company called me the next day on my cell phone. And he said, Janelle, I want to talk about one of your answers. <laughs> and I said, what? And he said, you said you want to do this on your own? And I was like, well, yeah, like maybe doesn't everybody? And he was like, no, that's not normal. People <laughs> right. don't say that. And <laughs> Especially not to not to power, like, you know, truth to power. To power. And it, truth just, to power. it didn't even occur to me that it wasn't normal. Yeah. And um, he actually told me that I should embrace that. And, um, and he was cool. an entrepreneur himself and, and, and he said, if you feel this way, you need to do it. Um, and I said, I was like, ah, oh, it was right before I got married. And, um, and I said, oh, I'm about to get married. And he said, and then you're probably going to have babies. So if you're waiting for when it's going to be a good time, it's never a good time. Never any better than now. And he said, are you going to wait another 20 years? Wow. And you're like, uh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you got this little window before the, before you have kids, uh, uh, you were sitting on, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think that was a key. I think that this, um, I think the entrepreneurial spirit was in me. Yeah. I, and I think that I had the right cheerleading squad around me to help really boost it and pull it out. I no question. And something you said earlier, you mentioned uh, you had this capability, you were lead, you know, you, you felt it welling up, but then you needed this one extra piece to come along called opportunity. And I have a little diagram in my book where capability has to meet opportunity to get into this thing I call the quit zone. It's the quit zone. I have a little diagram and, uh, and it's where capability has to meet opportunity because you can have all the capability, but if, if the opportunity's not there, you can't move. Yeah. And, if, and then you can, and then what's even more, what's even would be more of a nightmare is when opportunity comes and you don't have the capability. <laughs> so you, you got to be, that's one of the reasons why you should always be building up your, your uh, capability because then when that opportunity does come, if you had not been the VP running a whole department, you wouldn't have had all the capability and, and needed not just personal skill, but connections and confidence and all the things you needed to just take that opportunity and make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, okay. We are uh, rounding the bases here. Um, and I think where I want to end is actually something you, you mentioned earlier. Um, 
and that was this idea of why a recession is the best time to start a company. I want to show you a. I want to show you a. Uh, I wonder if I still have the um, the graphic. Let me see here. Uh, oh, I still do. Check it out. I sure. forgot I have it. Do you see this? Yeah, but it doesn't say Chaka. <laughs> <laughs> and you business owners, you can never stop. Man, you just you can't turn it off, can you? Okay, so look at this list. Isn't this crazy? I just put this list together a couple weeks ago. I mean, can you believe these names? I mean, you got Trader Joe's on here. You got FedEx. You got it's a Airbnb, Uber, Disney, IBM, uh, Whole Food, Whole Foods, right? Uh, Pinterest, even IHOP restaurant. You, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's awesome. And and so uh, does this. Uh, so how would you like now give me your thoughts about starting a company in a recession? Okay, so there are a lot of reasons and I actually didn't know this when I did it. Um, I, I did not know that starting a business in a recession was a good idea. Um, I think given the the current economic climate, I know we've talked a lot about um, how valuable experience is in the hospitality industry. and. I think that there's a very good chance that this podcast could reach people that are sitting here that are behind on their bills that haven't worked in, in um, two or three months due to coronavirus. That's right. And so, if someone is sitting there and they think I've got I've I've got this idea, um, there are more resources to help you now than there ever have been, um, and your ability to buy things. Um, is significantly um, empowered by reduced costs. Yeah. And I can go through this on a magnitude of levels, but my first office space was huge. Big open area. It was on Memorial Highway. It's, um, it's literally um, probably one to maybe maximum a mile and a half from my current office. Uh, and I paid... Uh, $647 a month for that office space. Because it was in a down economy. Because it was in a down economy. All yeah. right. Now, if, 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 you know, one thing we've learned is that we really don't need office space now, right? So Yeah, yeah, but that's just an example, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah this, you know, that's a really big unnecessary expense now. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever your expenses are, you have greater, uh, greater ability to get a deal on it during a recession yeah. uh, than you do any other time. And not that I'm ever in favor of paying people less than what they're worth, I'm just the opposite, but I gotta call it out for what it is. If you were building a team right now, there are people that will come work for you. If you, if you are passionate and you're, if you're someone who is inspiring and you're doing the great things, there are people that will come work for you for a lot less than they otherwise would. It's, you know, there's, um, you know, when you think about real estate, there are periods in time where it is a buyer's market and where it is a seller's market. And it is the same thing when it comes to being an employer. Sometimes it is, it's more advantageous at, from the employer's perspective, but sometimes it's more advantageous from the employee's perspective. And so that has to do so much with where unemployment lies um, and what type of economic opportunity there is. That's and right. And so that is another aspect of this. Because that's the, that's the next biggest cost of a business, most of them. You know, you got, you mentioned oh, the, yeah. my, the rent. My, yeah, my greatest line item is human capital. Yeah, absolutely. So that's to your point about right now in this recession. There's there's things there's there's big expensive things like office space and people and things like that that you can assemble for a lot less soon. You will be able to just don't be predatorial about it, obviously, and that kind of thing. But be opportunistic and yeah. and then go build something really valuable that makes everybody wealthy that joins your party. 
Yeah. And when you think about, yeah, I, I, I certainly, I think Alan, you and I are on the same page that we don't want to say, oh, this is your opportunity to go lowball people. Yeah, um, right, that, that, right. That's not what it is. It's but it means, it means that there's incredible talent available. Yeah, they want to work for they want to work for great uh, companies and great they leaders. Want to work for a great company. That's right. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's they might have been at a great company and not been interested in leaving there. And so, the only carrot that would have dangled them away from where they were before might have been an extra ten grand a year. Right. But once that great opportunity went away, or maybe um, was reduced, I I know so many people that took salary decreases. During this time, yep. Um, I there's one of our clients. Um, they had layoffs and they did salary reductions on everyone that that they that they kept. Yep. Uh, but they're actually now coming out so strong, and it's amazing. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome, and that's yeah. good for your business too. It is. Uh, it is. That's good. And so let's let's uh, let's wrap there and and think about um, any advice that comes to mind. If um, you know, if you were just going to one last piece of advice that maybe we haven't covered that comes to your mind for an aspiring entrepreneur, a young struggling entrepreneur, something that you would want to say to them as really out of encouragement um, that that you personally relate to. Anything come to mind? Um, you know what? And this might be different than what we've talked about before, it's but beautiful, I think yeah. actually, this is really important to talk about, um, is that your greatest asset is probably always going to be your people. Um, you might be able to minimize how many, um, how many people you need and how much you can automate or power through technology, but being able to hold that group of people that you have together is an incredible asset. Right. And so I think that instead of any experience you've ever had in your life with a bad manager, like the one that doesn't promote you because they didn't want to have to do their job without you, right? That horrible, horrible manager, instead of resenting them, you're taking, you're taking that life lesson and you're making sure you don't repeat it. Right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you just touched on something, a non, a non, uh, celebrated, um, skill of an entrepreneur that really doesn't get talked enough about the venture capitalists know this and not many people talk enough about this is exactly what you said. The ability to attract great talent and then keep them together, uh, usually working for less than they could elsewhere. Right. And usually working longer and harder than they could elsewhere and working for less. Not the person that they're following, you just touched on it. And that doesn't get that's an unsaid, uh, unheralded talent of a, of a true leader entrepreneur. Right. And that and that's kind of what a spirit of what you were talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's what I often um, you know, that's my people that have been here for as long as they've been here. Um, they 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 do say they say that it's because, you know, right. it's, it's because the, I'm an inspirational leader. I don't like to like be like, oh, I'm an inspirational leader. <laughs> but, but I that, do hear that. I that do probably that inspires you to get up and be inspirational. <laughs> but it does. It does. And I think that, um, you know, there, there are, there are pieces of advice that other people give, 
Um, but, you know, definitely take care of your people. Um, you know, surround yourselves with entrepreneurs, other entrepreneurs, um, because they're, especially here in the Tampa Bay community, they're going to help right. you. They're going to help you succeed. Um, but, but yeah, these are, and don't be afraid to move your goalpost. <laughs> right. Exactly. Way to bring it full circle, Janelle. All right. Fantastic, Janelle. Thank you so much. Uh, this has been awesome. This has been an amazing conversation. I don't even feel like it was uh, being recorded. I felt like you just you and, you and I talking. And, uh, and I think there's going to be some really cool things for people to, to gather from that. I mean, this thing was chocked full of amazingness. Uh, and, and I think it'll be inspiring for a lot of people really do i really mean that so thank you for being open and honest and talking and, and sharing you know things that you know we don't always openly share but people like i said are aspiring young entrepreneurs need to hear the uncomfortable things right uh they need to hear that because they're going through that stuff and they need to know that that others went through that stuff so i want to yeah. say thank yeah thank you for for being so open and sharing that sharing yeah, everything absolutely. happy to anytime cool. till next time okay yeah, and uh, Janelle, I will uh, catch you on the next one. Sounds okay. good. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.